What is up, Virginia Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Rage Runners Live, episode number 68. Tonight, our guest was Paul Jacobs. Paul just took the win this past weekend at the Canal Corridor 100-mile endurance run, finishing in an impressive 13 hours and 44 minutes. He's one of the top runners on the East Coast who has had himself a phenomenal year. We talked all about Mohican, we talked about Canal Corridor, and we talked about his training and mindset. It's a great episode, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Yo, what is Crackalackin' Ridge Hunter Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Ridge Hunters Live. Tonight we are joined by a very special guest, the recent winner of the Canal Corridor 100-mile endurance run that took place this past weekend. He finished in 13 hours, 44 minutes, coming to us all the way from D.C., Paul Jacobs, how are you doing? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, feeling good. And uh, yeah, glad to have finished it. Now I can not run for a while. <laughs> that's, that's always a good part about finishing a 100 mile. You, know, you don't have to have the pressure of, you know, kind of keeping going uh, with the training and whatnot. But we're so excited to kind of dive into uh, this race with you. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Wesley Harton. And joining me tonight for the very first time is a new man, the man who finished his first 100-mile race at the Canal Corridor 100-miler, JD3, John Dolovac III. How are you doing? I am doing great. Um, like Paul, I am also not running for a little while as I recover from uh, finishing the first 100 finally, which is nice. Um, but I'm super here, excited to hear about Paul's uh, event and how he actually finished 50% in the same 50% of time that it took me to finish. Um, so that's a fun little fact. It's pretty much like spot on, um, almost down to the minute right there. Um, but let's jump into our favorite part we do here pre-show. Uh, drinks. Uh, Paul, what are you drinking over there? I have uh, The Truth from Flying Dog Brewery. It's, nice. uh, it's a tasty one. Hoppy. Awesome. Hoppy. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. Let's see, what do you got? Actually, I haven't even looked yet. It's an island hop uh, IPA from the Wasatch Brewing Company. Uh, my first time trying it tonight, so uh, I'll give you guys a rating after the show. John, what about you? Uh, I am drinking a New Belgium Voodoo Ranger IPA. Um, it's pretty good. I'm enjoying that one. Uh, got a whole pack of those from the fridge, so that's what I got. Awesome. Well, let's dive into things. As always, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of the social media platforms. If you're on Strava, join our Strava club over there as well. Uh, Paul, before we dive too deep into things, you know, I really want to know, like, when was the first time you heard about the Canal Corridor 100? Uh, Why did you sign up for it? What was your training like uh, when you first heard about the race? And kind of take us back to just that first moment when you're like, oh, Canal Corridor 100, that's the race I'm going to do this summer. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Wesley. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to cast aspersions on it, but frankly, what I did was I took the Western States qualifiers for 2021, or at least run in 2021, and uh, I crossed out all the ones that were canceled because of COVID. Crossed out all the ones that were uh, too far away. I crossed out the ones that were um, full, and I was left with like three, <laughs> and. Uh, one of them was Mohican, which we'll talk about, I guess, a little bit later. And uh, one of them was Canal Corridor. Um, and they were both in Ohio. They just happened to be, you know, it's a couple hours drive from D.C. And um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I got to say, though, even after Mohican and now after Canal Corridor, um, you know, going out to Ohio is a real is a real pleasure. It's uh, you guys have a great community out there. Um, the Midwest has this like reputation in the U.S. for being a bunch of nice folks and I think it just like doubles down with the ultra running community. So 
So I was really stoked to to join Canal Corridor and, and you were asking about training. I mean, really like I kind of started training a little bit late, you know, so some summer vacations got in the way, but um, yeah, I started putting in the mileage in like mid-August and uh, was able to kind of peak back up a bit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Ohio people are kind of mad at you right now. You know, you're coming in to Ohio. You know, you don't know too much about the scene, but hey, we're just going to go to Mohican, take second place there, go to Canal, win that race in the same calendar year. Uh, it's incredible to see, and uh, we're super pumped that you picked those two races this year. Um, I kind of want to know now, like, you know, what did the what did leading up to this race look like to you? Obviously, you said the training was a little delayed, but like, did you focus more on speed workout compared to Mohican, where you maybe focus a little more on vert and trail specific work? What did that look like for you at a race like Canal Quarter One Hundred? Yeah, no. So, well, first of all, I promise next year I'll pick a different state if that makes it better. Um, <laughs> we but, uh, appreciate that. But, yeah, yeah. It, like West Virginia, or I don't know, whatever. But uh, something close. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, um, for Canal Corridor, I definitely, you know, I've always been a guy, I came into like this whole scene from, from the marathon, marathoning side of things. So, you know, I, I try not to ignore speed work, but then again, you know, volume has its place. And I feel like, you know, training is like this interesting balance, right, between the two where you, you know, you just got to like see like, what am I juggling today um, or this week or this month or this training cycle? And for Canal Corridor, I definitely turned on the speed work. Um, and I, I definitely was like at least once a week, I never made it twice a week, but, you know, I incorporate into some of my longer runs, a little bit of speed. Um, you know, uh, it's not something I have done in the past, like definitely for Mohican, I was like, definitely all about volume, just like build it up to get there, you know, hang out on trails as long as I could. So it was definitely a very different training cycle, even though obviously, you know, two runs in the same year. You've done some similar races, you know, maybe not the 100 mile distance, but, you know, like JFK, for example, it can be kind of similar to uh, Canal once you get off the uh, Appalachian Trail section there. Uh, did that, did you use any experience going into this that kind of excite you like, oh, at least I have this race to look back on that I had success at to go into this one? Or was it more of like, hey, I want to try something totally new and just see what this whole speed 100 mile thing is all about? Well, I got to say, you know, it's a great question too. You know, I think JFK is like, it's one of my, you know, everybody has like their, um, the race they carry around is the thing they can't really like nail. JFK is that race for me, man. <laughs> I mean, it's a great race, but I never really nailed it. I never have. Um, so yeah, but I had that, but it actually, you know, it started to create this anxiety because JFK is one of those races where I feel like I should have been good at, you know, I, sh I feel like I should, you know, I'm come from like a road marathoning background. I feel, you know, the mountains I love, but, you know, and I can do, I can run trail, but, but I really feel like I kind of belong on flatter surfaces in some ways. And so I was a little scared because I'm like, wait, I have never really nailed JFK. So why would, why would I think I would nail something twice as long? Um, uh, and, and, you know, so I was talking to Olivier LeBlanc, who you guys might know, you know, who's run Canal Corridor a couple of times. And, you know, he's just mastered, you know, pacing on long and flat stuff. And I was talking to him before the race, just kind of trying to pick his brain. Like, how do you figure out what's your pace for a hundred miles is like, if you don't, if you've never done it before, because even if you run mountain ultras, mountain ultras are so different, you know, you can get an, a sense of effort and the mountain is your regulator. The mountain is just going to slap you in the face when you go too fast. The mountain is going to slow you down. And, and, but on a, on something as flat as canal corridor 100, there is, there is no regulator. There is no governor to like slap you in the face. It, it's just going to be the miles. Like, so if you get to 50 and you went out too fast, 
that's going to slap you in the face and you don't want that, you know? So it was, a, it was a, it was a really interesting like mental experience to try to like dial in. Where is that pacing? You know? And so did you come up with an idea like where you wanted to go pacing wise for that race or did you, um, where you just kind of went into it a little bit like, Oh, we'll figure it out, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a number, but you know, like all things, it's like Mike Tyson once said, it's like, you know, everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. And, um, you know, I, I went into it with this idea of like, Oh, if I start at eight fifteen pace, I know I'll feel really casual and really relaxed. And I don't know what that works out to for like, uh, a hundred miles, but you know, I just, I just kind of knew from running, but like at eight fifteen will feel really relaxed to me. Um, and ended up being faster in the first half, um, at least in that, uh, which I knew was dangerous. I was like, wait, I, I, it felt relaxed to me. So I think I was, I thought I was in a good place, but, but then again, I was like, wait, I'm 15 seconds faster than what I said I was going to do. So you, you never, you never want to look at your watch and go, wait, I'm way ahead of where I should be, you know, it's always a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, so going into morning race morning, um, you lined up up there in the front, probably I'm assuming, cause you're one of the fast men. Um, you guys just take off like really fast or was that pace? Like you do stick to it from the beginning or you, you kind of hanging around the front or would it, people get away from you in the front and you caught up to them later? Yeah. Um, so the, I got, oh man, I should be better at names, but there was one guy who was, uh, he was ahead of me at the beginning and he definitely kind of like, he was off the bat fast and he was, you know, knocking down seven thirties. You could almost sense that that was his goal because it was like, he was on the dot seven thirties and I got pulled with him for a little, like, a, like two miles, maybe three. And I, I, I very quickly said to myself, this is way outside of where I wanted to be. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, I've learned a lot of things through failure and, you know, from a couple of times following somebody that's, you know, just got a faster idea than I do, you know, just like, no, that's not my, that's not what I'm doing today. So, um, so I slowed down pretty quickly by mile three, maybe by four at the latest. I was back at my eight minute pace. Um, but yeah, it's tempting. You know, you got all that adrenaline on race day, right? I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if you felt the same, John, right? Your first hundred, you're just like, you're amped, you're ready to go. Um, yeah. It's it's hard, hard to pull back. Yeah. So like, I know like Burning River, the first time I tried it, I definitely went out, just kept running like... The second time, I think I did Burning Over, same kind of concept. I, I went out a little fast. I think I got a text from Nick Voss that told me to slow it down. Um, and then for this one, I was like five and five was kind of my strategy. I ran five, walked five, and I felt I did that because I felt efficient, like at 10, 30, 11 pace. That's when I felt like it was natural, like low effort. So I just ran that and then walked. And then so like half a mile in, I was walking and everyone was passing me. But it's definitely tempting because you're just sitting there like, ah, I feel so good right now. That's great, man. That shows real restraint. I mean, you know, there's so many people that would be tempted or have the social pressure of like, right. Like there's always that pressure, like, Oh, I got to keep up with everybody mm -hmm. else. But you know, that's, that's good yeah, that you were able to do that. Yeah. I tried to zone out as much as possible. So, so for yeah. you, Paul, kind of going off that, you know, you pretty disciplined with your pacing strategy early on. And you know, this isn't the first time that you've been that it's disciplined uh, with the pacing plan. You know, I think we, before now you mentioned to me that uh, Grindstone 2019, you know, there are a bunch of people who are just going out crazy fast and you're like, okay, these people are not going to keep this pace up at this race. And you eventually went on to win that race as well in 2019. Uh, did you just kind of rely on that uh, confidence that you, that you had there at that race to kind of pull that? Or was that something that like you kind of still have to work at, like, you know, just kind of trust that process? Cause I feel like every single time, no matter how many times you do that at a race, there's still that little, uh, the little voice in the back of your mind that's like, ah, I just want to go. But what was that like for you? 
Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a good question. I I've spent I've I've had so many failures. <laughs> you know, like I, I love that you're bringing up my successes. Thank you. But I could I could name like I could just double down on the number of failures I've had where, um, you know, like I I went out super fast or or I went out in a way that I didn't think was fast. If you ask me at the time, are you running fast? I'd say no, it's fine. And I'm huffing and puffing up every every climb, you know. Um, so, so to, you know, the short answer is you never really know until you're there. But then again, I think I think I have had enough experiences of failure. I mean, frankly, that's where you learn. You know, you don't learn a lot from a from a successful race. You learn a lot from from a failed race. And I've had plenty of those, man. Um, you know, where like the last whatever twenty miles of of a of a hundred k was just a slog because I went out too fast. Um, but yeah, so in the back of my mind are those failures and they go, you just don't want that, man. You just don't. Um, yeah, no, I think that's great advice to, you know, to always remind people and especially myself, you know, I got a hundred miler coming up here in two weeks now and it's going to be like, hey, we can't, we can't race the first 50. It's not about the first 50. It's not about yeah. the first 25. And I think that's uh, I think a lot of people need to remember when tackling a distance like the 100 mile distance. Uh, let's do a full deep dive on the Canal Corridor 100 now. You kind of started off talking about the early miles of the race. Take us through your full recap, kind of uh, where you want to start things off and just kind of tell us your story of the race. Yeah, man, sure. No, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, race day, uh, you know, it always begins the night before when you can't sleep, or at least for me, you know, and I just sit there tossing and turning and not sleeping and worried about, um, you know, just about everything. You know, I was in this hotel room that was like, God awful. I don't know why I chose it. Um, you know, it smelled like smoke. It was a non-smoking room that was like, I was literally getting a contact high from hanging out in there. And so, you know, race day morning, you know, it's, uh, it was a fitful sleep, but I got some sleep. Um, it was raining buckets when I opened up the curtains of this hotel room and I'm like, oh man, this day is going to suck. <laughs> um, but of course, like as I packed the car and get things going, you know, driving over the race, you know, the rain stopped and it was, it was like a blessing, right, man. You know, it's just like, whoa, that was perfect. So it ended up being cool at the start, um, which always feels good. Um, I ran into, you know, I ran into a couple of people I knew. I ran into a bunch of people I didn't know. And again, back to like Ohio being, just a place that, you know, it's like, uh, that's where communities are made, you know, just like some really nice folk that I, that I got to talk to on race morning helps to calm the nerves. I don't know if you guys feel that way. A couple, you know, com conversing with your, your fellow ultra runner brethren, but, um, yeah. And then the race went off without a hitch, you know, nothing really to speak of. It's like, a, unlike a trail race, I didn't have to worry about tripping and falling, um, which I always do. I got, I got really cut up knees to prove it. Um, but I didn't have that experience uh, on canal corridor. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, so I, I ended up, um, in the first couple of miles with Jeremy Pope who ended up coming in second. Um, he's a great dude. It was really nice to share some miles with him and also, um, gentleman Israel, right. Uh, I forget his last name, but, um, these guys were really cool and introduced me to the ultra scene in Ohio. We were talking about that scene, a bunch races they'd run, um, super cool guys. And we had like this really cool, you know, little triumvirate going, we had the same, we were just like really clicked in this, like, you know, high sevens, low eights pace that, I mean, we were together for at least 20 miles, I'd say. I mean, we met up by mile eight or nine and we were together. I was with Jeremy to like 40, I'd say. So we were together for like 30 miles. Um, it was a great day to be out there. You know, it was a little humid. Um, 
thankfully there was clouds coming in. And I mean, I didn't like when they left, but the clouds are coming in every time the sun bore down on you, which like, I, I mean, I've never had that happen before. It's always either a sunny day and you just get scorched or, you know, you, you end up with like rain or, or at least clouds. This was like, you started to feel really hot and then suddenly there'd be clouds coming in to, to give you some respite from, uh, from the heat. And, and I don't normally go shirtless, but I got to say, it's like my new thing, I think, because when you can catch that breeze, it, it just totally changes things for me, at least, you know, um, it's a little gender biased. I think we should wear sports bras. All men should wear sports bras when they're running, um, just to keep shit equal. Excuse me. Sorry about that. But yeah, keep things equal. Um, but yeah, man, it was a great day to be shirtless out there, catching a breeze and uh, just riding a wave. It, it was a it was a good day. Yeah, that sounds like it was a good day. The um, for you though, this looks like you were moving so quick that the sun was kind of blocking it. But by the time I got out to the the sunny areas, it was a uh, pretty sunny. I uh, got some sunburn out there, you know, casual. But yeah, nonetheless, wasn't that bad. Um, we had our first question in the chat from Dave Clay 24, Dave Cottrell. I believe he also finished his first 100, right, Wesley? That's his first 100 as well. Um, and he asked, so what did you think of the course and did the hills on the road section help by changing up the mostly flat course? Oh, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, if it weren't for time, right, like we're maybe with the canal corridor, like some folks are a little bit like, oh man, I want to grab that time because it's so flat. I mean, I would just say keep putting that road section every five miles or maybe even three miles just where you could, you know, climb 100. I mean, it was only 120 feet or something like that whole I, I think I might have my numbers off, but but the gross elevation to get up to that road is like 120 feet or something. You could do that every mile for me. You know, that'd be great just to like change up uh, as, as the guy was saying on the in the chat, just to change up your muscle groups. You know what I mean? So, like use something different. Um, uh, I don't know. Did you feel that, John, at all? Um, I felt fine on those hills because uh, I spent, you know, a week out at Elevation Camp with um, with Wesley about two weeks ago, and uh, did I think I think we did like eighteen thousand feet that week, which was nuts for me. I've never done that before, and oh, my wow. climbing legs were just like, nah, this isn't a problem at all. I was running up the the uphills at the end of the race. He was running That's every right. uphill, walking every downhill. I've never Down. seen anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened, man. You've got the mirror mirror image of the of the ultra runner playbook or whatever. <laughs> hey, it worked for me. I finished. Yeah. That's fine. But I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was nice. It was it I like those kind of back roads like that sometimes where they're like like just open and it little change of scenery. Especially oh, did you see the guy in the forklift like just zipping across the road? No, I missed there that. Oh, you missed him. Oh, he was like hauling across the road with like whatever. He was just going back and forth. Like he would like stop at the road and like almost hit a couple runners one time. Like, <laughs> Cause he's not, I'm sure he's not used to runners just kind of, you know, casually going on that street. Yeah. So, yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I'm missed glad I missed part. that. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What else we got in the chat? Uh, Cam wrench says a challenge accepted for the sports bras. Um, so he's going to see about that. Um, and Brian Grace says, welcome to Ohio. Any major surprises or adjustments, especially in the last 50? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, I had this weird idea. Um, so this is a bit of a surprise, I guess, but like I had this weird idea that, you know, with a, it was a double out and back for, I guess some folks might not realize. Right. So it's a double, it's 35 miles out, 35 miles back and then 15 out, 15 back. And if I do my math, right, that gets you to a hundred. And so I had this crazy, crazy idea that I wanted to be fresh at the, 
at that last 15 miles, not fresh, of course, it's mile 85, nobody's fresh. But I want, I was like, how fa- I, I just, I was like, how fast could I run a mile at mile 85? I was just like, I'm just going to try it. And it's like the stupidest thing you could think, right? It's like, why would you do that? <laughs> but, uh, but I, I decided to run as hard as I could for like a mile. I, I didn't really tr- truly sprint or anything, but, um, so that was just like, I was just kind of testing myself, seeing like what, what would happen. And I really destroyed myself to the point where I like, <laughs> I really messed up like the next three or four miles as a result <laughs> of that mile. So I'm never doing that again. That was a lesson learned. Um, I had this idea that possibly it could put you in a new frame, right? Like, you know, like you had your frame, John, right? Where you're like, I'm going to run five, walk five. My frame was like, all right, just try to keep eight minute miles or eight fifteen or whatever for as long as possible. But I was like, if I change the frame, if I just change the cadence and just see what happens, maybe that'll evolve into the last 15 miles just being super fast. It turns out that's not true, so I wouldn't try that at home. But um, um, you were in first place at this point, right? I w- at that point, yeah, yeah. So I love that you're experimenting in first place. <laughs> Most I mean, people like lock it in, just it, try to roll I think it it's in. The, be- the best time to, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> love that. I'm gonna take that advice. If I'm in first place, I'm gonna experiment, Let's try yeah, something new. I mean, you know, just, just throw it all out there. <laughs> You know, in theory, and I'm going to talk a little theory here, and, you know, Cam Rice is going to love this because he's a big theory guy. But, uh, you know, I think that, like, you know, when they say you get to the top of the hill, you just try to crest it strong to kind of keep the leg turnover going so you can kind of go down quicker. And so, in theory, your idea should have worked entirely correct. Like, you know, just t- pick up the pace, keep it going, and just hold it the last 15 miles. I don't know why it didn't work. It must have been an outlier or something like that. I just have to keep trying it, you know. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, we'd love we'd love to see it. We'd love to see it. Uh, so, kind of continuing on with the race and kind of the story there. Uh, were there any like incredibly dark patches of the race for you where you kind of had to battle through something? And then, if so, how did you come out of that moment? Yeah, man. I, I don't know if other folks have this, but I mean, there's never been a race I've run, you know, over a 50k where I haven't reconsidered why I run. I'm like, why the heck do I do this sport? I'm like, there's there's ping pong. Ping pong doesn't hurt this much, you know? It's like ping pong sounds great right now. I'm like, I don't even know how you play it, but it's got to be easier than this crap. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I had the, I definitely have those moments. Um, they usually occur about like two thirds of the way through where, like, you know, your legs are like sausage meat. And, um, uh, you know, th- so I did actually have a moment or several moments. Um, during this race that I've never had before. And it actually had occurred right after one of those sort of crises, if you will. Um, and it, and what I said to myself was how much can I pay attention to the, like nature around me? And like, and if you guys haven't been on these, this tow path for those that are maybe outside of the area, I mean, it really is quite pleasant. I mean, sometimes you're in an urban environment, but you know, there's a lot of birds, there's a lot of trees, there's the sound of, you know, babbling brooks and, I actually really, I mean, I always try to notice that stuff, especially in trail runs, you know, it's like why we're out there. It's like to enjoy, enjoy what you're, you know, the natural surroundings of this earth. Um, but in this case, something even deeper happened to me that I've never experienced before in a race where I was sort of going through this real pain cave, so to speak, like, what the heck am I doing? It's hot out, you know, whatever. And I, and I said, I'm just going to try to focus on nature around me. I'm going to try to Zen out into this space. And, you know, I just, kept telling myself to do that. And I got to, a, and I said, what if I just try to ignore the next 10 miles? And I was at mile 59 and I was like, I'm just going to ignore the next 10 or 11 miles. I'm just going to just pretend they don't exist and just listen. 
And it actually really worked for me. I, 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 I wouldn't say every moment of those next 11 were, you know, peaceful and uh, joyful, but, but it was a sense of like connection. I was like listening to birds, just like, kind of like viewing trees blowing in the wind and like having like a really peaceful 11 miles, even though I was, you know, just minutes before kind of in a, in a bad place. Um, yeah, so that sounds um, interesting. I think it's cool because like you're kind of distracting yourself almost in a way that you're kind of allowing yourself to just kind of mechanically keep moving uh, with your stride and whatnot, but you keep your mind, which is the really the only thing that's going to make you stop or slow down. Like unless you physically like have an injury, your mind is the reason you're going to stop. So like to be able to distract it or keep it entertained somehow, um, you know, looks like it worked pro- pretty well for you to keep it, keep going through that little low spot. So. Yeah. That. And I think, I think it may have helped that it was this type of race where it's so flat and so long, because if you try that in, um, in another setting where like the terrain varies a lot, or there's a lot of rocks and roots, like you're either, you might end up tripping cause you're like getting distracted. Or mm-hmm. if there's a lot of like uphill and downhill, you might end up pushing too hard on the up or doing something stupid on the down. But if you're sort of like, you know, locked into a pace, like I was trying to be, you can, it's like, you, you don't need to think like, what, what is there to think about? I don't have no roots to jump over. I have no pace adjustment to make on this uphill because the uphills don't exist. And, and so really all I got to do is just like continue forward. And so in that sense, like, I feel like it was easier to let my mind just go do something else as opposed to like be in the race where sometimes, you know, like I'm not, like, for instance, I'm not a naturally gifted climber, like in, in, like, um, you know, steep climbs, like I stink at that stuff. So what I do is I sort of like, I'm always strategizing, like, how do I get around that? Like, I'm going to run fast on the ridge line or whatever. You know, I'm just, I'm constantly, at, but like in this race, it's like, nah, I picked my pace. I have my pace. You know, it's, it's like the die is cast. I just got to keep going, you know? Yeah. About the most dangerous thing you got out there was wet bridges. The yeah, wet wood yeah. in, the, in the morning. That's about it. <laughs> the only thing you're going to fall on. <laughs> or the people living underneath them possibly. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of going off that, you know, one of the cool parts about an out and back course is you get to see people kind of going out and back and especially in the double out and back course, you're going to get that twice. So did you use that as motivation or did that help you at any all through any point throughout the race or during the mindfulness section where you like, if someone said, Hey, good job. You were like, Hey, I'm listening to the birds right now. Like, can we, have a, can we take a minute here and just enjoy this? Well, well, that's a, that's good, man. I like that. No, I mean, well, the 59 to 70 was on that section where everybody that I had sort of like, so I'm coming back from mile 35. I had already passed the entire field, so to speak. Right. So like they had already, we had already passed one another. Um, so thankfully I didn't have to worry about them distorting, disturbing my, my moment of Zen or whatever. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, the turnarounds are cool because I love, I, you know, I'm, I'm out there for the community, man. I'm out there to like, you know, see faces and, and kind of like get involved in that. And, you know, but, you know, these turnarounds are like, these don't happen in every race. So you can really just kind of like wave high. What's up? How you doing? Great job. You know, man, I, my, I think my, my throat was like dry. Cause I said that to everybody. I was like, I'm not going to miss a single person except for like the one dude who's like, you know, in the pain cave with his headphones on, who's like not talking to anyone. I'm like, all right, I'll leave you alone. <laughs> Um, no, but it, you know, it, it was, that was really cool. It was, it was fun to see people out there and like, you know, and it's cool to like, also you kind of witness like how people attack things, right? Like some people are just like super powerful hikers and walkers. 
Um, you know, you have people with different strides. It's fun to just notice, like, how are people attacking this challenge? Yeah, see, like, when you when you passed me going the other direction, you were, like, in the zone, it looked like, and you're just, like, cruising along. And then I was counting, you know, people back, and then we got to um, uh, first female at the time. I don't remember who was in first place at that time, but I think she was in the fourth place with one other guy running. And they that were just, like, right. ch- chatting and having a blast. Like, it was a casual stroll, and I'm like... Man, I hope I feel that could come up back. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, what did they do at the turnaround? <laughs> <laughs> right, it's just cool to see, like you said, to see everybody and, and to see the leaders too come up back because you don't always get to see the leaders except for the start. Because by the time you know I get to the finish, everyone's gone. So, so yeah. it's cool to see them coming through the race. I thought that was it was exciting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and then inevitably, you know, from a strategic standpoint, like you got to everybody's counting miles at least in the front, like, you know, everybody's sort of like, how long did it take for me to get back to where that person was type of thing, which, yeah. you know, you try not to obsess about, but it's there. It's, it's information. You can't, you got to use the information. You know, you, there's so many courses where you don't get that. Right. You'd be absolutely dumb not to use that. And there's so much strategy, especially in a race like this one, where it is about double out and back course with a billion aid stations at this race. Like, I mean, that's no exaggeration. There's more aid stations than yeah. there are miles to run in this hundred miler. And that's, that's a yeah. really cool feature of it. Did you use that? Like, how did you manage to like, you know, be effective, be efficient through your aid stations? Were there ones you wanted to stop at quicker? And what was just your nutrition and fueling strategy throughout the day? Yeah. Um, no, you're right. I mean, there's an aid station every 30 feet. It's, it's annoying. You're like, just <laughs> shut up. Just, I don't need any. No, no, um, no, it's great. It's great. People, the volunteers are awesome. Um, so, I mean, my, you know, I guess like everybody, it's like, I'm trying to eat as much as I can. You know, I, I, I kind of blessed in that I, you know, my stomach can take just about anything I throw at it. Like I can really eat anything. So that's a good, that's good stuff. But, um, you know, but I do, I am really conscious about aid station, speed. I mean, like it's just, especially in something like this, where I was kind of shooting for a time, um, you know, I mean, I was, you know, 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there, pretty, you know, not just pretty soon, but after two of those, you're talking a minute, um, you know, so like that adds up, you know, if, if you stop 10 times, right. Um, you know, I got to say though, thank, you know, just praise be to the people working those aid stations. Cause I mean, by the end, I was spending a couple minutes at each one and I was, I, I just wasn't, I was, get, I had some pretty low points, you know, like after 70, there was, you know, several low points and getting to the aid station, just being like, I'm going to give myself an extra minute or two here to really just like find whatever I need, like whatever that is. Um, it, it all, I mean, I don't know. I'm an omnivore. I'm a glutton. I'll eat anything. So I was just pounding everything, pickle juice, you know, PB and J sandwiches, chips. It's like, it all goes in the tank. Um, and it, and there's no, and there, I don't know about you, John or, or, or Wesley, but like, there's no rhyme or reason. It's like, it's like, Oh, you know, three miles ago, you offered me a PB and J and I scoffed at you for daring, daring to offer me such a thing. And now I'm like, where's your PB and J? Cause that's the only thing I, I, I can't explain what, what my stomach's doing, but, um, but yeah, it just seems like, you know, you got to put something in it, you know, salt tabs, whatever it is, you know? Um, yeah, no, I felt the same way. You start off and you stick to your nutrition, and then near the end, you're just like grabbing whatever's possible. Like, like we were eating pizza at the end, and those the meatballs that were at the seventy mile mark were great. So those were awesome. Oh, that's um, awesome. another chat question says, um, 
He said he, uh, Eric Anderson wants to know a little more about your training. He says it's unique to see someone excel at both mountain mountain races and at faster flat races. Um, he said he was late, so we have missed a come of it. But I don't think we've touched on the specifics between the two. I guess. Yeah, yeah, no. It's. I mean, thanks. No, it, it surprised me that. Um, well, I, I guess it surprised me it took so long to do a race like Canal Corridor because. Again, you know, I kind of came at this from like a marathoning background or the, the sport of ultra running. I came at from a marathoning background where typically it's a lot flatter. Right. Um, so I always knew I kind of enjoyed the flat stuff. I'm always faster on the downs. I'm, I stink at going uphill, man. I'd really do. I love being out in the mountains, but, it, you know, man, I, I will lose time on just about anybody climbing, climbing uh, an uphill. And sometimes I feel like that might be an advantage where it's like, you know, you're saving your strength, saving your energy and just, but it really, it's just an excuse because I suck. Um, <laughs> no, but, um, and, and in terms of training, I mean, it's a great question. Like, so for, for canal corridor, I really, I just stayed on the flats. I, there's a, the CNO canal, the Chesapeake and Ohio canal runs along Washington, DC from Washington, DC, all the way up to Cumberland, Maryland. And it's like an exact replica of the towpath you guys have out in Akron. So I, I stayed on that a bunch for my long runs, um, and I dropped most of my most of my elevation stuff that I do. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny because it's like all the cool kids were running in the mountains. So I was like, I gotta run the mountains. And then like it took me ten years to realize I'm like, maybe I should do something else. So <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know what's I don't know what's in the future. I have no idea. I'm just kind of like gonna play it by ear. But um, but it is fun to try both. You know, I think. That's what I love about this sport is you can, you know, everyone just says like, Oh, you just run a long time. It's like, there's infinite ways to keep it fresh. If you're looking for things to keep it fresh, you know, um, not to go on a tangent, but I, I started becoming a bird watcher like two years ago. It sounds like totally random, but it's like, I was out, I was spending like, you know, I don't know, 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week, just in the, in the local trails. And I'm like, I keep seeing all these birds and I don't know their names. I'm like, why wouldn't you learn all their names? You know, like, why wouldn't you figure it out? So it's like, that's another avenue for the sport to become new and interesting other than just like elevation and, you know, mountain versus flat. Like there's all these different ways to think about it, right? <laughs> Do you, uh, did you keep track of the number of different birds you saw on Canal? <laughs> I saw, I, well, I haven't kept track of the number. I saw one that I've never identified before and I still haven't looked it up because life is life and i don't have but i will look it up i have like a really good mental image of what it is but um, nice yeah. um so coming back on that uh the last little 15 miles there you said you ran that one really hard uh which burned you out for about three or four miles sounded like you picked you back up after that um coming in towards the finish then what was that moment like when you when you got there and you crossed that finish and and at what point did you know that you kind of had it in the bag as being first place um well yeah, I mean, I, I don't like talking too much about it. It's like, because it's not why I do this. But yeah, I mean, the, I, the honest truth is that like at the turnaround, you, you know, as Wesley was, was communicating as well, right? It's like, you can just count, you know? And so I was like, okay, well, from the mile 85 turnaround, I just was like, all right, I know exactly what the, I know what the odometer reads at 85. And I'll, I can count how long that takes me to get to the second place. I, you multiply that by two and then you know how far ahead you are. And by then I was ahead enough that I was like, as long as nothing really stupid happens, like running a really fast mile, <laughs> um, I'll be fine. And then I ran a really fast mile, which was stupid. But no, but um, so I kind of knew a little bit earlier than that, like then coming into um, the finish line, right? I kind of had an idea that I was like, 
enough minutes ahead that I'd be safe if I didn't do stupid things. Um, but then again, you never know, like this sport is so, so capricious, right? Like you can, you can start vomiting randomly at like mile 92 and then you're, you're walking for four miles. And I was like, yeah. if something like that happens, I am not coming in first place. Like that is, you know, so I definitely wasn't taking it for granted, but I was like, just make good decisions except for this one mile that I'm going to run fast. <laughs> Love it. Got some more comments from the chat here. We got Michael Patton says, awesome race on Saturday. I finished a handful of hours, handful of hours behind you and enjoyed the energy of cheering runners on ahead and behind us as we ran. It provided energy during the lows and highs for him. Um, totally agree with that. And then Dave Clay 24 says, did you have a crew with you? Uh, and if so, what was the most beneficial thing that they did for you? No crew. Um, my wife and kids usually crew me. Um, I love them dearly. They, you know, this, this didn't work out school wise and, and other stuff. Um, they're the best crew I could ever have, but yeah, the, I went solo, no pacer, no crew, um, this time around. Nice. Um, yeah, let's see what you got. Yeah. So kind of transitioning now out of canal and, uh, I kind of want to talk about Mohican. Obviously you picked that one too, a little bit. Uh, you decided to run that race. You took second place at that race. You know, there's a lot of Ohio, uh, regeneration members out there that probably saw you at Mohican. I know uh, I snubbed you on a prediction video. I heard about it for <laughs> years and years. And to be fair to this day, Mohican 100 is not on ultra signup. So I just missed, uh, you know, Paul Jacobs there. And that's, that's on me. It'll never happen again. But uh, no, I'm excited to kind of know, like, what was that race like for you? Kind of talk about that one. Obviously, a totally different race than Canal Corridor. Um, what, did you ever share any miles with Arling Glick or was he just too far gone? Uh, kind of like, what was that whole, the whole day like for you? That guy has rocket boosters, man. It's <laughs> awesome. I know I totally respect him so much. Um, I, but I only got to meet him afterwards because he took off at the start and had never saw him again. Um, you know, so that was brilliant. Uh, yeah, no, Mohican was a really great experience. I mean, again, it was my first Ohio ultra. Um, and, you know, I, and almost in the same way of like, you know, thinking about Canal Corridor, I was like, I wanted to try something new and I'd never done a looped course. You know, I've done point to point, you know, done, you know, well, I've done like big loops of, you know, in the Massanutten Mountains in Virginia is where I really usually do things. And this Mohican, you know, came up and I was like, wow, four loops, that could be kind of fun. Like, right, the strategy of like getting, because it was good, the, my first loop on Mohican was going to be my first knowledge of the course. But then it's like kind of cool because you like get to use that knowledge really quickly. So the first loop, I was definitely like, pay attention. <laughs> You know, like if you don't get lost in the first loop, you're not guaranteed, but pretty likely not to get lost at all. Um, so that's kind of a nice benefit of that looped course. Um, and then like you understand the elevation profile, what, what, you know, what's the hard stuff. You get to know that pretty quickly, you know, um, after the first loop. So I was definitely like, you know, just trying to like lock in like a, like a, you know, sort of rain man, like, you know, memory Zen where I'm like, okay, remember everything about this. And, you know, another cool thing about your Ohio scene, man, is I, you know, I immediately was in this like awesome pack of three or four guys. Um, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. He's from Columbus, but he had run Mohican several times, both the 50 and the hundred. And he was like this amazing tour guide. He was like, oh yeah. So this part of the forest was planted by the civilian conservation corps in like the 1930s. And I'm just sitting there like soaking it up. I'm like, dude, this is great. Can you just do this for 16, 18 hours. Like that would be awesome. Um, uh, so yeah, that was like a real pleasure to just meet some, I think the guy's name, oh man, he came in like 
Biff. Anyways, he, he's awesome, whatever his name is. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that race, I mean, you know, four loops, every loop was actually fine, except for loop three. Loop three, the humidity, I don't know if you guys remember, were there that day or remember it, but um, it was June 18th, I think. And man, that humidity and heat in Ohio in June, it killed me in loop three. I think I hit that third loop maybe at something like um, noon or 1 p.m. And so it was just like the heat of the day was like spread throughout that third loop. And I I tanked, um, you know, pace wise and morale wise, you know, it's just like really suffer fest. Um, and again, back to Arlen Glick, that dude did not, you know, so like, you know, of course I compared some splits afterwards. I mean, the man is superhuman because it's like, you know, like, fine, he's faster than me. That's fine. A lot of people are faster than me, but it's like, if you compare the splits, it's like, for some reason, we started that third loop about the same time. And the man kept putting time on me on the third loop. I'm like, dude, you're supposed to have some vulnerability. Even Superman had his kryptonite. Like you have to have some weakness, but the guy doesn't. It's awesome. I think the only weakness Arlen has is any distance under 100 miles right now. I think he's probably going to be the one to admit that after JFK and the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. But no, Arlen's run at 100 miles recently has been unbelievable. But uh, no, it was kind of cool, so cool to obviously uh, be out there and share some miles with you and Arlen for my very brief stint uh, at that race that year because I did not finish and uh, got to make sure to remind me remind everyone of that one uh, going into my, my 100 here. So I got the added motivation for myself. But uh, no, we got a couple more chat questions in the thing. Let's go to Andy. He said, if he ever wants to run both hills and flats, then go back to Ohio for the Tuscazor 100 next year. Great half mile, great half single track and half towpath, 25 mile loops. Uh, we need more Virginia Happy Trails running club members there. Uh, so that could be another good one for you as well. We had their race directors on Return to Live number, insert the number there, and uh, you can go back and find that one. But uh, Carl, yeah, there we go. Carl Bliggin says, uh, always loved Paul's consistent repping of the Virginia Happy Trails Running Club, the People's Champ. I want to know, like, what does that community mean to you? Obviously, so many uh, local communities have, like, their niche and, like, you know, their club, their community that kind of, uh, they band together, they do some awesome things together. Uh, what has that club meant to you? Man, you know, it's, I got to say, you know, there's, um, I'm going to get a little philosophical for a moment, so excuse me, but you know, like American society, you know, we have our issues and, and I'm not going to get political, but it's like the, our, one of our key issues is we can't find ways to build community that doesn't have to do with like politics and other bullshit. And like Virginia Happy Trail for me is, uh, is my happy place. You know, it's like where people are coming together over the sport. They, it, you're not allowed to bring tears, whining or bullshit. And you, you know, like everyone is bringing their best selves to, to that community. You know, people volunteer at races, people volunteer to do trail maintenance. Um, you know, people don't whine or complain, right? It's like, and, you know, sometimes you have a bad race and people are honest about it. And it's just like the lack of BS and the lack of, um, uh, you know, sort of like, what is the word ego, right? I mean, people are just there to share miles together. And I am too, like, it doesn't matter that some, cause Again, it would be like, sometimes I'm at the front of the pack because guess what? Sometimes I'm not, it doesn't matter. Right. It's, it's all about, we're in this together, dudes and de dudettes. Like we're doing this together and you don't find those spaces in American society as much as you used to. Like I'm not a church goer. Some people have their church, you know, 
I'm, you know, I, I, I don't have time for clubs because I have kids, you know, so I'm not like bowling on the weekends, but I do run, you know, and so running is my thing. It's my third space. And the Virginia Happy Trails, man, it's like a welcoming place and there's no BS. There's no ego. You know, I mean, pe you, people give you respect for the number of hours you put volunteering. Uh, you know, how many aid stations have you helped out? At? And of course, you know, there's the respect of like, oh, man, that dude has run. I don't know, 30 ultras or, or 30 hundreds, right? Like, so like, right, there's respect where respect is, should be given, which is like the things you've earned, not the things you say you do or the things you think you do. It's what you've actually earned. And, and it, I don't know if that like philosophy, I'm sure there's aspects of your own running communities that it's similar and that's why you're attracted to it. But, but like, man, come to, come to our races because it's so much fun. You drink beers afterwards. And there's no ego and bullshit. I mean, it's like, these are the people you want to know in your life, you know, so move to Virginia or whatever, or DC. Yeah. You got me on the beer part afterwards. It's like my favorite <laughs> thing to do post run. Uh, I even like a few beers before runs, but I mean, you never know. Um, <laughs> never had a problem with that. works out well for me, but I, I agree. I think a lot of the communities, even around here that I run with are similar in that, that mindset, like where it's, you just show up to run, you just go talk afterwards, you hang out or whatever. And, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what other beliefs you may have. You're just there to hang out and have, you know, run and talk and have yeah. a good time. So I think a lot of the running communities are that way. And that's what I love about one of the things I love about the running community. Like, you know, even at canal, like in these big races when we're all there, there's not, like you said, there's no bullshit at those races. People are just there to help out. They want to know how you're doing. They want to see you win and succeed or whatever. And that's all that matters. Yeah. So, totally. I love that kind of stuff. Um, Eric Anderson says Arlen's going to crush Javelina, which I'm excited to see him do. Javelina, I like to call it Javelina. <laughs> no, I gotta call it the Javelina Jundra. Jundred. <laughs> Just throw the J at it. No, it's gonna. Be oh cute. yeah, no, so you have to mispronounce every word possible, like Jalapenos and Ches. Um, you just you just can't say it right ways. Um, it's gonna be good there. So. I think we got some uh, final questions here in our. Uh, do we have anything more on Mohican? I've, I've got one. Anything? I've got one here. So you kind of talked about, you know, a lot of people kind of come together in the community aspect. You know, it's kind of interesting because I think a lot of people can kind of band together on the reason because everyone has a reason why they run. And I think, you know, it's you can't really just be like, oh, your reason's kind of bullshit. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, you, you can't just disrespect someone like that. And I think, you know, the reason why people run is just pretty important to them. And so I want to kind of dive into that with you now is why do you run and kind of what has kind of took your trail running uh, career to kind of that next level? So, yeah, man, I, it's funny because I should have a great answer. And I, I've come up with lots of reasons why I run, but I don't have an answer as to why, if that makes any sense, because there's no one reason. I mean, like, yeah, it's physical fitness and staying healthy. Like, I love that aspect of it. You know, maybe the biggest, you know, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old at home. And possibly the biggest reason for me is they see me do things that they know take a lot of work and take a lot of dedication. And, you know, I really don't see my, like, if you just view your life, like, what, what are you going to change in your life, right? Like, ask yourself that question. If you're a parent, one of the only things you have control over is maybe you'll change your children's lives, right? And so, I mean, of course, I'm not going out to run 100 miles just to make my kids go, wow, dad ran 100 miles. But, but that's part of it. You know, it is part of this, you know, let's do something else. Not, you know, everybody has their job. Everyone has family or, or friends. Like, what is that other thing you're going to do? And for me, running kind of fits that 
that category of it gives me it gives me peace in meditation it gives me health and it provides motivation maybe for my kids um and i get to watch some birds along the way so yeah no that's an, that's an awesome answer there kind of diving into that and kind of diving you know from that into like specific training philosophies now like, do you love doing high mileage or, you know, are you more of like, I need to nail, like you said, one speed workout a week, but like, do you have to hit that? Or like, what is your training philosophy? What do you think other people should train? Let's just open the bag of worms. And, you know, if you were going to coach me tomorrow, you know, I think I've got two weeks left. Uh, you know, you throw one piece of advice out for me. Totally change what you're doing. No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, I mean, right. It's, but it's all about your goals, right? So, you know, the, I mean, the best question to ask is what do you want to do? Because if, what you want to do is a fast 50 or a mountainous hundred or, you know, some sort of like speedy 50 K those are all going to be different answers. Um, but, you know, I guess my training philosophy is moderate, moderate mileage. It's not high, you know, it's not triple digits just about ever. Um, and so I go for like moderate mileage with a little bit of speed and hang on for dear life because I mean, I just don't have the time, you know, full-time job. I have two kids. I, I'm, I'm, dedicated to my family and part of their lives. I, you know, so I can't, yeah, I, I wake up at, you know, butt crack of dawn Sundays to make this happen. So yeah, I mean, a long, maybe my religion is like, my religion is a Sunday long run. You know, I wake <laughs> up early enough that I can put in three or four hours every Sunday. And I'd say, I try to hit that like 48 weeks out of the year, probably. Um, you know, that makes, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's probably the only real key aspect of my religion is that sometimes that mile, that'll be flat mileage if it's what I just did last weekends. Um, but most of the time it's in the trails and on, on elevation. No, I think, I think you hit it right on the head. You know, consistency is probably one of the most important things for every ultra runner. You know, the more consistent you can be year after year, obviously the better you will become over time. So uh, that was an awesome answer there. You know, I do want to be a little selfish here. Normally I try to, you know, ask questions that, you know, help out others a little bit more like John finishing his first 100 mile this past weekend. Shout out to you, John, for doing that again. But, you know, I want to be a little selfish here. Uh, you know, I've got a 100 mile coming up two weeks. I've mentioned it a couple times now. Uh, what advice would you give to someone, you know, two days before, one day before uh, they go out there and attempt to do it? You know, I've done it, I've done it once or twice before at this time. But like, you know, what advice would you give to someone? Just one minute monologue of uh, something I can just like play back and uh, remember before I start off on uh, that Saturday morning. So, I mean, if you have a plan for your nutrition and you have a plan for pacing, the one minute monologue is going to be a lot less than that. It's out of your control, Leslie. It's out of your control. And I don't mean that in a way that you should give in to temptations or give in to like fate. If you feel crappy, you're going to feel crappy. What I'm saying is dial in your nutrition, eat as much as you can, especially early on. Have a pacing strategy that's very conservative. So conservative pacing, eat a ton. And by the way, those things help each other out. Right. So if you're if you're running slower, especially in that first half, probably the first two thirds is a good advice. You'll eat more. Those two things will help each other out. Then it's out of your control. Just enjoy what you can enjoy. I mean, you're going to have lows, but, but it, all the rest of that, try to enjoy it because then it's going to go by fast. You're going to eat like crazy, which is fun. And moreover, if you went out conservative in the first two thirds, it really should be two thirds. It shouldn't be a half. Then you're going to finish well, you know, and if you feel like you went out too conservative, well, that's fine. Start sprinting at mile 75 <laughs> or 85. 
See, that's better advice than I had. My my section, so I'm crewing for for Wesley on this race, and and I told him that um, unless he gets cut off a DNF by cut off by time, uh, he's not getting a ride home. So he's just got to keep moving. <laughs> Which race is it, Wesley? Uh, Rim through River 100 in West Virginia. So I'm glad you picked West Virginia as your state to, to conquer next year, and I don't have to deal with you this year. So really appreciate <laughs> you uh, picking West Virginia next year. Can I still sign up? Can uh, I still sign up for Saturday? Actually, yeah, you could. I think the wait list is empty right now, so we'll see you out there. <laughs> no, uh, my wife would kill me. <laughs> uh, this has been beautiful an down there. Yeah, it's totally definitely one that visit. you should definitely put on your radar for next year. I'm excited to kind of see the course in, uh, in a new way this year. Uh, I think that's it for this episode. Let's do our quick questions, John. Uh, start us off. So we've got some quick questions we always ask here at the end. That being said, a couple quick notes. Uh, drop in the chat if you've got any final questions for Paul. We'll get those to him before we get out of here. Um, and then if you like what we're doing, go ahead and give us a like and subscribe. Uh, that greatly helps out us in the channel and allows us to grow and share our stuff with more and more people. So love that. So if you love what we're doing, please give us a like down there. Um, first, let's see here. What do we want to go with for tonight? First question. Uh, first, uh, what's what's one thing you can't leave an A station without? So I'm going to flip the question around. The one thing I can't enter an A station without is antacid. I pop antacid like crazy. I do. Like one before, not every aid station, but toward the end. Um, and then leaving, like I, I always carry more than I should. I'm a pack rat. I really got to stop. But I always have like two extra gels that I don't need. So I'm always like two gels. That's 200 calories I can suck down. Um, and it's just like a safety blanket, you know, like. In, but anyway. I feel like having two gels, like only two gels, it does not make you an extra like a pack rat or anything like that. I feel like that's a, you know, that's a plenty I, of like, thing. <laughs> You know, it seems like you're carrying like 16 cliff bars and, you know, 14 gallons of water. And Well, here, here's the thing. I've, I've, I've only told you the smart thing that I do. I'm, I got a pack of potato chips. I've got, you know, I've got, so I got a jacket, I've got a hat. I'm like, I carry beanies in the fall, not the winter. I mean, like, I'm just ridiculous. <laughs> Love it. Um, question from the chat says favorite post-race indulgence and favorite beer. Uh, favorite beer these days is like those double, double IPAs, man. I always go for a double IPA as an indulgence and peanut butter, ice cream, peanut butter, chocolate, ice cream of any type. I will house that. <laughs> I big fan of the ice cream. I'm going to do it usually before the race for me, but I'm going to all do it after the race as well. So, uh, that's the great answer there. Go for uh, it. Go for it. Let's do, uh, if ultra running had walk up songs like baseball, what would yours be? I'm going to go with Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. It is, I mean, if you guys know the intro, I'm not going to sing it for you. Sorry. Uh, just look it up if you don't know it offhand. But Led Zeppelin is the best band ever, and I will fight you over that. <laughs> well, we'll just keep our opinions to ourselves. Then, <laughs> yes. <right now>. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all I need to be said. <laughs> what about your weirdest hallucination mid-race or strangest thing you might have seen someone eat at an aid station? Um... There was a day I was running with this guy head to head uh, over a hundred miler and he shotgunned a beer at like mile 80 and then proceeded to take off and destroy me over the next 20 miles. And I was like, wait, that must, I, I got to do that because that's causation. Apparently that's what that, that led to him winning. Cause you know, yeah, yeah you he shotgun, shotgun the full beer. I wouldn't, <laughs> I don't know, man. 
It's pretty intense. It's awesome. Um, all right, so this question is newer. It's from Cam, and it's a great, it's a great question. It's interesting because it gets into your like psychological or how you think and stuff like that. So it says, would you rather fight one chicken on one day, two chickens on day two, three chickens on day three, and so on for 365 days, or fight one mountain lion after training for 365 days? If you fight the chickens, you have nothing but your hands and clothes, but if you fight the mountain lion, you get a sword and armor to fight it. So I have 365 days to train for the mountain lion? Yep. Yeah, see, on this one, I go with mountain lion hands down because I love, I mean, part of my, the reason I'm in this community is not just for the racing. It's like, I love the training. So to, so to have a whole year to focus on that mountain lion and just think of ways to conquer it, like I would like learn jujitsu. I would like learn how to fight with, you know, swords. I mean, that would be awesome, right? Like, yeah, let's let's go for that. And I'd probably die, but I mean, <laughs> die trying at least. True. Yeah, because I think I think the debates we've had so far with this question is is anticipation. Some people would rather just know that the chickens are coming every day versus the anticipation of a of a mountain lion fight in a year. So, no, I've been known to like take like five or six months off of, of racing to just train for one race. And so at least connecting it back to running, I would want that mountain lion so bad by the end of that year. Yeah. I used to be pro mountain lion and some of the runs I've done recently. Now that the weather's changing, it's getting a little darker earlier out here in the mountains. I might be pro chicken a little bit. I haven't seen anything. <laughs> I haven't had really any close calls, but you know, chicken's not going to like, you know, make me lose my mind, you know, at 20 something yeah. miles into a long run. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll go back and forth. I'm still also a team mountain lion. This for, does for connect that. back to the, to the hallucination part of your question earlier though, which is that like the darker stuff is man, your mind does wander and comes up with other things that it thinks it is. So, yeah, I don't know. If he, I'm fighting the mountain lion in the in pure daylight, that would be part of it too, right, John? Yeah, they have okay. to be. Right. Have to be. Right. That okay. would be fair. It wouldn't be fair. <laughs> I, I want to have a contract. Can we sign a contract? Because like, yeah, paper napkin in the bar. <laughs> paper <laughs> napkin signatures in the bar. That's how it's going to happen. <laughs> Otherwise, all bets are off, man. Uh, we got one more, I think, here. If you, know, if you could run with one person in the history of the world, even if they aren't a runner and they would be able to run with you and keep your pace, who would it be and where would you run? Oh, and where would I run? Yeah, so um, I'd pick a new place. Like I haven't been, I've, I've been to the, like maybe running the rim to rim. I would run rim to rim with, uh, I'm not going to pick one. I'm going to pick uh, three astrophysicists and three quantum physicists. Um, I don't know. I'd figure out who they are exactly. I mean, Stephen Hawking would be there. Einstein, um, you know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson for sure. Uh, and then I've got some like quantum physicists I'd get in the, so we'd have a posse of seven of us going rim to rim discussing quantum physics and astrophysics. That's what we would do. That'd be awesome. Interesting. What do you do for real life? <laughs> I'm not a physicist. Uh, I'm a, I'm an economist. So hmm. I, I deal a lot with numbers and uh, I'm a health economist, but, and so I do a lot of research and work on uh, health, healthcare policy. So, but in my, my spare time, I do a lot of reading and physics and other stuff. So Fair well, winning canal corridor 100 isn't real in real life enough for you, John, you have to ask him like what he does <laughs> like on his regular day to job. 
You said it's got a to bill. There's I no mean, with that, list, with that list right there, you're either like a serious sci- science nerd or like in highly involved in some sort of science. You're like, because you, like, you care about it that much to run with six <laughs> extremely intelligent people. Six, yeah. <laughs> so. I guess I guess the problem with that would be they would all like have their own conversation instead of explaining things to me, right? Yeah, like, you would just get lost and you would get dropped by them. Oh, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> Mentally. True. Mentally dropped, and now I'd have to drop them and run. I guess. <laughs> That's I awesome. Um, do you uh, have any sponsors or social media that you would like to to plug tonight? Free agent. Free agent. Yeah, yeah I think you're. I think you're deserving of some sort of something. I don't know, man. We'll see. <laughs> no one's reached out. I'm not, get a, I'm, not, get a, I'm not saying I'd say no, but uh, no one's reached out. That's get cool. A, Tom sponsor first ever ultra What's running. That? Get a sponsor for sponsorship from oh, Tom's, Tom's or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a first. That's great. I love that. That's yeah. before every aid station you said. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it might it would help my household budget if it was beer or ice cream. Um yeah. So I, yeah. But the I mean the Tums are cheap, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Oh, Hoka too. My wife, my wife calls me Imelda Marcos because of the number of shoes I have. So, if Hoka's out there, yeah, yeah, sign this man. Yeah, deserving. Um, I think that's all we got for tonight. Um, I want to thank everyone in the chat for being in here and being active and asking all the great questions. Uh, thanks, Paul, for being on. Congrats on your win. Uh, awesome performance. Can't wait to see you uh, next year at Rimmed River. Obviously, um, we'll probably come back just to witness that. Uh, and Wesley will definitely not snub you in the, that prediction video. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I think uh, this was a wonderful conversation, and it was great to hear your perspective and everything like that. So it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. You guys are doing a great service to the community, and uh, you're fun to hang out with. So thanks, guys. Awesome. And congrats, John, on your on your uh, finish, man. Thanks. Boom. Appreciate it. Got the first one done. Uh, Going to focus on 50s for a while now. Um, but we'll see everyone next week uh, for the next Returners Live. Bye, everybody. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners Live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Version Our Nation. Mm-hmm.